Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Learner's Corner. This is the podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anyone and everyone and from anything and everything. I'm looking at him giving him this weird look right now. We have a great episode for you today. Today, we are going to be talking with Joanne Lippman. Which is going to be Lit Lit. Now, Joanne has been the editor-in-chief of USA Today Network, and she's also been all sorts of other really cool things. And she decided to write this book called... That's What She Said, What Men Need to Know and Women Need to Tell Them About Working Together. And it drops today. Boom. And so, as you know, if you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, this is an issue that we care about a ton is gender equality and doing everything that we can. In the workplace as well. In the workplace as well, because everybody is equal. It doesn't matter the color of your skin, your gender, whatever it is, everybody should is equal. And should be treated as thus. But Caleb, before we get to all of that, we have for you guys this week, our brand new segment, where we talk about our Learner's Corner approved resource of the week. So Todd, what is a resource that you've recently been learning from? So a couple weeks back, we interviewed a guy named Jim Stovall and he mentioned a book. And because of me being the human being that I am, I went out and bought the book. And it is by author Walter Isaacson, um, who uh, best, best, you know, he wrote the Steve Jobs yeah. biography. He wrote a book called The Innovators. He, he which wrote is about Ben. Really Einstein. good. He, he, wrote, well. he wrote about Ben Franklin and Albert Einstein. Which we aren't recommend. We, I mean, those are good books. Those are good books too. But the and one, they will be in the show notes. But that's not this day's Learner's right. Corner approved resource. This one is his book. He recently um, released uh, this past fall, actually, and it's about Leonardo da Vinci and and. There's a quote right in the beginning of the book. Um, it's in the intro as he's talking. And it just blew my mind because it really gave insight to, to Da Vinci and then how it can apply to us. And so he has two different quotes that he says. The first one, and this is something that he actually says himself he learned, he was learning from, from Leonardo. He says, vision without execution is simply hallucination. And so what he said was, Leonardo was this, this extreme visionary person, and, and he was able to, to think of things and see things and visualize things that most other people couldn't. However, Leonardo was able to bring his vision into a practical, into a practical, uh, into like a practical hemisphere and be able to actually work and execute on it. And so he, he said, you know, otherwise it's simply hallucination. And so that was one of the first things um, that kind of that I learned from it and really just it, it, enjoyed kind of thinking about. The second one was this. Skill without imagination is just barren. And so what he said was there were many, many, many artists in the days of, of Leonardo. You can think of uh, Michelangelo. Raphael. Uh, all these different people. Donatello. Caleb, I'm so proud of you right now. Look at Caleb dropping some dropping some knowledge. I just know my Ninja Turtles On the, really well. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. By the way, by the way, here's the interesting thing. That actually is legit. Look at Google that junk. It actually is where they came up with the Ninja Turtle names. However, um, what he said was there were all these really skilled artists, but the thing that made Leonardo da Vinci stand out amongst all of them was the fact 
that he had skill, but he but his skill was brought to life, and the vibrancy was that, that came with his projects was bright, brought to life because of his imagination. I mean, this was a man who literally would work on cadavers to be able to figure out the muscles in a mouth so that he could paint the smile on the Mona Lisa. He also worked with looking at shadows and things so that he could understand how to draw perspective for The Last Supper. He was so interested in understanding and he wanted to be able to bring what was in his mind onto canvas or whatever he was, he was whatever his medium was, that he used his imagination to try to accomplish it. So skill without imagination is just barren. That is your Learner's Corner approved resource of the week. And I haven't checked, I haven't started reading that book yet. Actually, I don't have that book, so I'm definitely going to have to check it out. And also, I'm going to throw you an extra bonus. Hey, bonus alert, bonus alert. The person who we're talking with today, Joanne Lippman, that's what she said book, is also a Learner's Corner approved resource as well. And you're going to find out why you need to get this book today because of our conversation with Joanne. You need this book. And so, without further ado, here's our conversation with Joanne Lippman. Well, Joanne, welcome to the Learner's Corner podcast. We're so excited to have you on today. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. You know, you recently wrote a book that we're really excited about. It's called That's What She Said, What Men Need to Know and Women Need to Tell Them About Working Together. And so why don't you just tell us, you know, what kind of led you to want to write this book? Sure. So the genesis of the book was um, about three years ago. Um, I, you know, I spent most of my career as a journalist. Uh, the first 20 plus years of my career, I spent at the Wall Street Journal, uh, where we were writing primarily about men. And I was surrounded by a lot of men, really good guys. But one of the things that I was noticing was that there are a lot of issues that women face um, that we talk amongst ourselves a lot about, right? And we have books for women about how to get paid what you're worth and you know, how to succeed. And we have conferences and we talk to each other, but what we don't do is talk to men. And um, that really perplexed me because the fact is that if women only talk to one another, that's at best half a conversation and can solve at best 50% of the problem. And so we really need men to join us. And the other thing that, that really got me going was, you know, I work with a lot and all of my mentors were men. I've had great experiences with some, some, um, you know, surrounded by professional men. And, um, what struck me was by women only talking to ourselves, there were two unfortunate side effects. And one is that we unintentionally demonize perfectly good guys who actually would like to be able to help us close the gender gap. And then the second um, side effect is because we're not talking to men about what the issues are that we face, a lot of the times they simply don't know what the issues are that we face. And in fact, Catalyst, uh, which is a professional uh, organization, did a, um, did a survey of men and found that more than half said that they simply weren't aware of what are the issues that women face. And so they were afraid to kind of wade into that conversation because they felt like they weren't informed. And so the genesis of the book was I wrote an article at first um, for the Wall Street Journal called Women at Work, a guide for men that went viral. And then uh, the book grew out of that. And I just did a tremendous amount more research. And also in the research, what I really wanted to do in That's What She Said was talk to men who are reaching across 
the divide who are trying to close the gender gap and to talk with them about, tell me about, you know, what have you learned? What are strategies that you're employing? Um, and also what are things about the women you work with that kind of flummox you or perplex you so that I can try and get to the bottom of those answers and make it okay for men and women to be able to talk about these issues with one another. You know, uh, uh, one of the things that you mentioned in the book is, you know, kind of this idea of, you know, gender equality and, you know, sexism in the workplace. And, you know, that's becoming more prominent. I think people are seeing that more. But can you just give us some examples of what that kind of looks like in the workplace? Sure, sure. There's all kinds of research that shows that how men and women are viewed differently. A lot of it stems from unconscious bias, which is these biases that we all have that are buried so deeply inside of us that we're not even aware of them. The majority of, of people that you could take a test to, to tell if you have any of this implicit bias against different groups. And uh, the majority of people, and this is women as well as men, have this sort of unconscious bias against working women. And it manifests itself. And by the way, I took the test and even I came out as moderately biased against working women, which is rather ironic. Um, but it manifests itself in a whole variety of ways. As a, I'll give you a couple of examples. One is there's a real respect gap between professional men and women. So if you put a man and a woman in exactly the same job, the man will get more respect and have more power in that position than a woman will have in exactly the same job. Um, you know, women in a, in a professional setting, actually in any setting, women are much more likely to be interrupted when they're speaking than men are. And this goes across from, you know, from, from, from your entry level all the way up. In fact, there was research done on the Supreme Court of the United States that found that female um, uh, Supreme Court justices are interrupted three times more frequently than male Supreme Court justices. Um, it, it, it manifests itself also um, in the pay gap and the promotion gap. At every level, uh, men are 15% more likely to be promoted than women are. And again, it's not that there's so many, you know, we, 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 right now we're in a moment where there's an awful lot of discussion and, and healthy discussion um, and repercussions for sexual harassment and sexual assault at work. The issues that we talk about in That's What She Said are all of these underlying issues in the environment um, that actually end up enabling the, the most egregious of those sorts of cases, right? It's those things, it's the lack of respect, the interruptions, the women being marginalized, women being paid less, not promoted as often. Um, and all of those issues are issues that we actually can solve for, and that once we're aware of them, we can actually do something about them. You know, Joanne, another thing that you talk about in your book is how, you know, the workplace tends to favor men instead of women. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure, sure. If you think about the modern workforce, the workplace, it was actually created after World War II, this the model of like, you know, working in an office. And it was created after World War II on a military model, very hierarchical model. But the entire workplace was actually invented for men 
by men. And there's some really interesting um, leftover um, relics of that. For example, uh, this is a small thing, but boy, as a woman, I can tell you, it's it's been hugely frustrating for me my whole career. Offices are freezing. <laughs> They're so cold. Um, and that's because Room temperatures in offices were actually created on a model of a 150-pound man in a business suit. And men have a higher metabolic rate, excuse me, men have a higher metabolic rate, um, which means that they they run hotter than women do. So as a result, a temperature that is very comfortable for a man is freezing cold for a woman, which is why you will often find me with a space heater and a shawl and other women too. Um, have the same issue. Um, but beyond that, there are, there's just um, the workplace also, because it has traditionally been run um, by men, they're typically the people in leadership, there's this bias toward um, hiring people who are like yourself, who remind you of yourself. So if you're, uh, you know, someone who's just starting out in your career or you're a mid-career professional, you know, chances are the people who are in power in your company are men. And when they are doing the hiring, there is a natural inclination to look for people who remind you of your younger self and or who have something in common with you. So, you know, very often that has led to um, to men hiring men over women, over equally qualified or even more qualified women. And this goes as well for uh, minority, underrepresented minorities. And, you know, the, the problem there is that you're not necessarily hiring the best person. You're, it's a sort of a false positive that you're getting. Um, and so that becomes sort of an unequal issue. Another issue that really hurts um, women in the workplace is, um, is frankly, motherhood. Um, you know, now there are more and more workplaces that are offering parental leave, which is fantastic. Uh, but, you know, women still um, carry the, the, the uh, majority of the burden of child care at home, first of all, so they have extra work to do. Um, but also, Women are penalized when they have children. They are promoted less. They, they make less money, whereas men are rewarded. Men who are fathers are seen as sort of responsible figures and breadwinners, and they are rewarded for it. Um, and this is, by the way, again, something that men and women both um, un unconsciously do this. I mean, working women, there's been research that shows that working women feel that they are um, bad mothers. And working men, to some degree, feel the same way about the women, but not about the men. Um, and by the way, that is like absolutely categorically not true. There's been all kinds of research on children of working mothers that finds that they actually are, the daughters tend to be more educated, more successful. The sons tend to have a much more um, equality-minded um, attitude as they grow up and take on, you know, more of the, uh, have more equal relationships as they grow up. Um, so, you know, you've got these various issues that are just ingrained. It's sort of this institutional sexism that, again, it's not intentional, but it's built into the system and it hurts women. I, I, so I have a question kind of following up on that, <clears throat> which is this. I guess one of the things that I oftentimes think of uh, whenever it comes to that issue is, you know, whenever, when, when a child is born, how, how, how does that have to, how should that work then? Because one of the parents is going to be home or, or something has to happen. So how does this, how does this actually, how should it play out? I should, I, I guess is what I'm asking. 
So I think it, the, we're, we're moving in the right direction with parental leave. So that understanding that this is not just a mother thing. This is a both parents. And, um, and that's actually been very helpful in that, um, you know, when you have men, again, joining in on this conversation and men seeing this as their issue, it helps make it an issue for everyone. And that alone is, it will, will make a difference. Um, but at the same time, we need to be highly, highly aware and attuned to um, the, the slights that, um, that working mothers face. Um, you know, in academia, um, you know, w women who are, who are professors are less likely to get tenure while men are more likely to get tenure when they have children. Uh, just even looking at the analyzing facts and, and lining up, um, you know, to make sure that your employees with the same level of experience and the same contributions are being paid equally or being promoted equally, that alone um, would actually make a difference. And there are some companies that do that, that, that are starting to analyze their gender pay gap. Um, there's a, a law that just was, uh, went into effect in the UK um, where they're doing that, and, and that alone will make a difference. Awesome. So I guess my question is, um, you know, some of these things seem really obvious that once you once they're stated, why is it that women aren't talking more about these issues and discrepancies or let me, let me rephrase that a little bit. Why aren't they talking to people who could do things about them? So women have been talking about these issues nonstop. <laughs> My entire career, women have been talking about these issues. They are as plain as could be. They are. It's one of those things that um, all of the issues that we've discussed so far, and so many more, they're things that once you see them, you can't unsee them. Here's mm. the problem. The vast, the vast majority of companies are still run by men, and men are just, if they've been somewhat blind to the issues because they don't face these issues. So. Um, you know, it's really, that's why I wrote the book. It's so important to have men be aware. But part of the book is, I, I, I say in the book, you know, and that's what she said. I said, part of the reason of this book is to let men in on our secrets because we all know them. We women know them, but the men don't. And so we need to have a real awareness among the men who are our colleagues and the men who are in positions of management um, in order to, to, to change the dynamic. And a lot of the times it's just been absolutely, things that are plain as day to women are completely invisible to men. There are so many things that women do that are completely invisible to men every day, all day. Um, and I can give you a couple of other examples. I mean, women um, in the workplace, there are all sorts of adjustments that we make every day because we are working in a man's world. And some of them are so subtle um, that, uh, and, and men are just not aware of them. It's invisible to them. So as a quickie, for instance, um, I wear high heels because I work with men and I want to appear more authoritative and more on their level. Um, that, that's the primary reason women wear heels. And the research shows that taller women actually earn more than shorter women. There, there's an actual economic benefit to wearing high heels. Which, which seems insane, but um, but we do it. Um, women who are in power are disproportionately blonde. Only 5% of the U.S. Uh, white population is blonde. 
but um, something like half of, or possibly more, of women in positions of power, like being a CEO or a senator, are blonde. Um, and the theory is that as women get more powerful, they're acting kind of outside of female stereotypes. And so they do things to try and diminish their threat to men. Um, we, you know, the blonde hair makes you look sort of younger and less threatening. Um, we talk differently. Um, in order to be less threatening to men. One of the most interesting pieces of research I found um, was a computer scientist who studied um, the language we use in emails. And he did this with, there's, it's, um, there, there was a company, Enron, several years ago uh, that turned out to be a big fraud and the government sued. And they subpoenaed all of the emails from this company. So there were 10,000 email chains. And an academic bought the entire, it's called the Enron Corpus. And, and they've been studying it to understand how men versus women communicate digitally. And what they found is that the higher up a woman went, the more powerful she was, the more she diminished her digital persona. So more of that sort of hedging language, like, would you mind doing this? And please, if it's not too much trouble, men, the more power they have, the more declarative they are. This needs to be done. This doesn't work. You know, do it again. Um, get to my office, right? They, they can declare it and be rewarded for being authoritative. Women are, um, uh, uh, you know, they're dinged, right? They're, they, they lose credibility if they try and do that. So, the, you know, they have to diminish themselves. And all of these things, again, are invisible to men, but women make a hundred or more of these tiny little adjustments every single day. So if you were advising women, um, what address about addressing these issues and discrepancies and these these things that they're doing? Like if you were if you were giving advice, so so we talked a little bit about how men just they're they're invisible to men in a lot of ways. But if you were advising women about um, addressing these things and and how to address men and talk to men about them, what what advice would you give them and how would you how would you tell them to to say it or or to to express this? Sure. Yeah, there's steps that men and women can and should be taking. Um, so, um, you know, first of all, the the from the side of the men, um, the whole point of the book, as I say, it, it's not about man bashing. It's about like letting you know, <laughs> here's all the things that the issues that we face, because I want men to be comfortable talking about these issues. Um, for women, there are a variety of strategies that women shared with me that I think were very helpful. Um, you know, one is um, uh, the, something that the women of the Obama administration did, which is, you know, women in a meeting very often, if they say something, it seems to fall on deaf ears. It's crickets. But then a man says the same thing, and suddenly Joe is a genius, right? And so um, there's a, a thing that the women in the Obama administration, who felt like this was happening to them, um, adopted called, they called it amplification, which is a woman says something, and then another woman steps in and says, hey, Mia made a great point. Why don't we, you know, Mia, can you elaborate on that? Or, or you know just like repeats Mia's point. Um, and the idea being, what that does is two things. First of all, it, it makes sure, amplifies Mia's excellent point um, and get, make sure that it stays in the conversation and isn't just ignored. And secondly, it gives credit to Mia because very often what happens is 
a woman says something and then, you know, it, it doesn't get any credibility till the man says it. So this makes sure she gets the credit. Um, there's another strategy that women have employed, which I found fascinating. Um, at a, there was a big consulting company and one of the women told me that they have brag buddies, which is, let's say you have Mia and you have Olivia. And women, the research shows uh, when you women talk about their own achievements, again, they are they are penalized for it, right? Whereas men are rewarded for talking about their own achievements. So, you know, this is something that obviously we need to be aware of and we should get over it. But in the meantime, um, what these women do is it's called brag buddies and and, you know, Mia will tell Olivia, here's what I've been doing. And Olivia will tell Mia, here's what my successes are. And then they both go out to the bosses and brag about each other, um, which is interesting because all the research shows that while women really are not good at advocating for themselves, they get they are penalized for advocating for themselves. But they are excellent. They are better than men, the research shows, in advocating on behalf of others. Um, and so this allows them to advocate for each other. And by the way, I should add that that is something that um, as a manager, you know, I've been, um, you know, managing people for close to 20 years. And uh, that is something that I was always sort of, I, I myself, you know, I, I was always kind of terrible at asking for raises or advocating for myself, but I was really, really good at advocating for the people who worked on my teams. And I used to think that, you know, that was something that was, you know, that that was one of my characteristics, that that was something that was unique to me. And then I found out, no, it's not. It's actually unique to women. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought I was special, but no, I'm just female. Now, I have a question about what you talked about with the amplification and then also with these brag buddies. It, it almost does. Does that not diminish women by saying, well, the only way that this can happen is if we have more than one of us talking about it. Is that like something that, that would, that diminishes women more? Like if, if this is what's happening over a long period of time, does that diminish them or does it actually begin to help them to gain relevance in, in your eyes? I love that question because you're right. We shouldn't have to have brag buddies or amplification. But um, one of the kind of the beauties of the of, of what I found out as I was doing my reporting, when I talked to successful men who were trying to reach across a gender gap, they do the same thing for women. So, um, you know, one of the executives I, I spoke with um, told me that if a woman says something in a meeting and then a man gets the credit for it later, he, now that he has seen it, he can't unsee it. And he said, he will go back and say, hey, you know, Susan had that idea first. Susan, why don't you elaborate? So men can do this and men can be part of it. And, and, and soon the idea is if you do this frequently enough, it becomes part of the culture. Because what, really what we're talking about is culture change. And so that's why we need men to be part of that culture change. There's another great example, Glenn Mazzara, who's a very successful um, television writer. He's created The Walking Dead and he was an executive producer of The Shield. And he would, um, you know, television is written by groups, um, television scripts. They have a writer's room with, with a variety of people in them. And he had noticed, and he, I had a, he, he's, he's a real proponent of, of trying to, um, to create a more equal environment in the media industry, in the Hollywood industry. And he noticed that in a writer's room that, first of all, it's overwhelmingly male. And secondly, the few women in the room 
uh, were not getting their ideas across. Like none of their ideas were being taken. And he said it took him a little while to figure out why, but it suddenly struck him that what happened was every time the women in the room tried to pitch an idea, they would be interrupted by the men. And so what he did was he created a new rule, which is anyone who's pitching an idea, man or woman, anybody pitching an idea, you cannot interrupt them. You have to wait until they're done pitching. And he, as, as he says, after that, you know, all bets are off. You can tear them apart. You can make them cry. doesn't matter. But you have to hear them out. And that made a huge difference because this way the women's ideas were able to get through and be taken seriously and the women could become much more successful that way. And that, again, changes the culture. So these are steps that individual men are taking, but collectively, if we all do this, it actually will change the culture. And so we won't have to be taking you know, special steps for women any longer. Joanne, you've talked about a couple of ways that, you know, that men can help almost be like champions for women and, you know, rec- like pointing it out and recognizing people as long and as well as the, you know, the no interrupted role. Are there any other, you know, actions that men can take to further champion women and, you know, kind of cross this gender divide? Sure, sure. There's a, there's a number of steps that men can take. The, the first one to understand, by the way, is that this is not even about, and the, the men I spoke to for the book, who are all successful um, men from a variety of different fields, um, the first thing to realize is that this is not about charity. It's not about even about being a good, you know, it's like doing this for good social reasons. The men were all driven by success. And all of the research shows that when you have more women in your organization, you're more successful. Um, They're more financially successful. When you have women, when you have mixed groups of teams, um, they are far more successful and more creative um, than um, single sex teams of either gender. So, you know, women, companies with more women at the top are more financially successful than those with fewer. So, So every metric shows you that you'll be more successful with women. And and more than one man pointed out to me, they, they use the analogy of the gym class, right? If you're the volleyball captain and you can only pick from half your gym class and the other guy can pick from the whole gym class, the other guy will get a better team, right? So, um, but there are other things that men can do um, as well. You know, men can be the, the, the like as with Glenn Zara, they can be the person who, who makes sure that women aren't interrupted. Um, men can, um, you know, um, uh, once they understand sort of the facts of success, men can, can actually make sure that women are heard. Um, you know, I talked to a group of lawyers at one point, uh, it was a mixed group of lawyers and, um, uh, talked about all of these issues. And at the end there was a Q and A and one of the men in the room raised his hand and he said, you know, I was just in a group of lawyers. We were preparing a brief for the senior partner. And um, there was a woman in our group who did the lion's share of the, of the work. But when it came time to present, a man in our group did the presentation and he got the credit for doing the work. And the guy said, and the, 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 this young man, this young lawyer said, and it, you know, he said, I'm just realizing it now. And the funny thing, the women in the room are all looking like, kind of like, duh, like that happens to us every day. The man in the room was like, oh my gosh, 
I should have spoken up. I should have given credit to this woman for doing work. You don't have to be the boss to do that. You just have to be aware of it. And you can take those steps that um, shed light on the contributions of women. You know, Joanne, just as we're getting ready to wrap up, we just have a couple more questions for you. I guess another one is, you know, what are some actions, you know, we talked about what are some actions that men can take? What are some more actions that women can take in order to help, you know, kind of bridge the gender gap as well? So the one thing I really want to stress is it's so important for men and women to be equally comfortable in talking about this. And that uh, my hope is that's what she said will ultimately lead to much more open conversations. Um, Because, um, you know, as I said, women talk amongst ourselves. We tend not to talk to men about the issues that we face. And we need to be able to do that. And the men should feel comfortable talking about it as well. Um, You know, one of the one of the um, uh, in my reporting, I actually spent time in Iceland because according to the World Economic Forum, Iceland is the number one country in the world for gender equality. And I wanted to understand what does that mean? And, you know, Iceland has its share of problems. They still have a gender wage gap, though they just passed the law to close it. Um, But the big difference culturally was I would go and talk to these big, burly fishing boat captains and farmers and bankers, and all of them were equally comfortable talking about the issues that women face. And all of them were aware of the issues um, that women face, and we're really engaged in the conversation. It was really funny. I was talking to this very big, burly head of the electricians union, and um, I asked him about feminism, which is such a loaded word here in the United States. And he he like bangs the table and he says, "Of course I am a feminist." You know, it was it was like an insult to suggest he would be anything other than that, right? Uh, so so there's a there needs to be that comfort level. Um, that goes both ways. And women need to be able to openly discuss these issues um, with with men. They need to also be aware um, of w- women should also need to arm themselves with information. Something very important for women in, the, in terms of the wage gap is that um, you know, there's a lot of this, um, a lot of books and things that tell us like we need to ask for what we are worth. And in my research, I found that women very often actually don't know what we are worth. So, for example, this starts really young. Um, there was a there was an, uh, a study done with six year olds, first graders, where they were asked to do a task, and then they were asked to reward themselves, pay themselves in Hershey kisses. The boys in first grade paid themselves in more Hershey kisses than the girls did. And they repeat this experiment in middle school and high school. And at every age, you know, ultimately it's with money, right? Mm-hmm. Not, not kisses. But um, at every age, the boys reward themselves as much as 78% more than the girls do. So one thing that women absolutely need to do is arm themselves with information to truly understand what they are worth. And there's a lot of uh, resources now like Glassdoor.com and these other websites that track positions and salaries that actually you can get much better information than you could even a couple of years ago to understand what you're worth and to make sure that you are being paid commensurately with men in the same position. One thing that I keep hearing you talk about is making the conversation more comfortable for people to talk about. Is that just as simple as, you know, just continuing to talk about it? 
Yeah, I, look, I think that the that this is one um, actually positive that's come out of all of the conversation in the recent months about sexual harassment, sexual assault at work. Um, what that has done is it's made it okay for men to talk about it too. When when I started reporting this book, um, the uh, you know there was some skepticism that men um, are going to. Um, want to read. They're not going to see this as their issue. I will tell you, in recent months, I've gotten, you know, everywhere I go, men want to talk about this issue. They want to understand. And, and they, they do understand that this is all of our issue. This is not a female issue any longer. This is a societal issue that affects all of us. And, um, and so I, I think that's a very positive outcome um, from some of the horror stories that we've heard. Okay, okay, Joanne. So we always love to ask our guests just a few questions as it concerns learning. And so just kind of the first question we have is, what's one decision that you've made recently that has helped you out a lot? Or one thing that you've started doing recently that's helped you out a lot? So I, I would say the single most helpful thing I've started doing is on my computer, keeping an actual checklist of my to-do items. So it's a running list, and I, um, I, you know, I, I, uh, I check things off as as they go um, because there's so many balls in the air, and I want to make sure nothing's falling through the cracks. Do you have an app or something like that that you use? Um, yeah, I use that OneNote, Microsoft OneNote, which allows you to create the checklist when you can literally put Very the little cool. checks next to it. Yeah. Very cool. It's satisfying too. Hey, when how how do you learn best? Like, what is how does how do you learn best? Like what is, what do you have a secret method or something that you do when you're just trying to, to figure something out? Oh yeah, I do. Okay. So the most important thing for me is I can cram as much information as I can in a day perhaps, but I don't really learn it until I sleep on it. And I know that if I have something incredibly important, urgent that I need to learn, that I have to give myself time to have at least one night of sleep on it. Because something happens when I'm sleeping where, where, where all kinds of information sort of coalesces in my brain and if there's so much more clarity in the morning. And then one final question we want to ask is, what are you learning right now? So right now I am trying to master... Um, social media. I, I'm on every platform, but I am really in awe of how digital natives can create a conversation and they have a vernacular that does not come naturally to me. They can engage in a really fun and constructive way with others. And for me, it's like learning a new, new language. Um, and so I'm, I'm working at it. Are, are there any books or resources or websites or people that you're trying to learn from for that? Um, I'm trying to learn from my kids <laughs> because they're really, they're really good at it. Speaking and I, of, spe I read their posts and they really, they, they know how to engage and be, um, you know, fun, but they, and they can discuss substantive issues, um, in a really engaging way. Um, and it just sort of flows right out of them. And, and, uh, it's just not a natural vernacular for me. I, you know, grew up like writing for a newspaper and even though I, I, my career has completely gone digital and I was just, you know, running a, a digital news organization, um, it, it's still something that I, I feel like I can do better at. You know, Joanne, I think that everyone needs to read, you know, this book. Um, I think it's a really important issue that, you know, as you said, both men and women need to become more educated about. So if people want to find the book or continue to learn more from you, how can they best do that? Great. So that's what she said is available at any bookseller. Um, any online bookseller. Um, so, you know, go to your Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstore. 
Um, and, uh, and obviously there's, there's a Kindle edition and an audio edition as well. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed the conversation. Caleb, we just had an awesome conversation. What'd you learn? The thing that I learned is that this isn't a, a male issue. This isn't a female issue. This is both female and male issue. We both need to work together in order to cross this gender divide. And I think far too many times it's either shown as, you know, the women need to do something, they need to be more aggressive, or the men need to listen more. And it's not one or the other. It's both. We both need to do our part so that everybody can be treated equally. So I guess the thing that I got, because you stole mine, was that, you know, there's so many little things that men don't even notice because it wouldn't even be something they would consider. She mentioned something that was so weird about the temperature of most office buildings. It was designed with a 150-pound man wearing a business suit on, which means it's going to be a lot colder than if you were, than a person who's smaller, meaning a lot of women. And so I don't know. I just I, when I found that out, there's so many little things that she used the word invisible. They're just invisible to men. And so how useful is it to be able to have a resource like the the book? That's what she said to be able to bring some of these things to light, so that we can begin to think about them. And not just say, oh, look at you. She's always cold. She's always over in the corner with a heater and a shawl on. Like, and, and, and I think a lot of people would do that. But now these are some things that are being brought to light. And I, and I, I just love it. And it's a conversation that needs to happen. Hashtag needs to happen. And needs to continue to happen. And so you're going to continue to hear conversations like this from bringing different perspectives from, from women, from racial minorities from everything all sorts of stuff and so if you liked this episode or if you learned something from this episode you know let us know you know leave us a rating write a review of our podcast on itunes let us know some things that you learned about or let us know about some things that you would like us to cover in the future don't forget if the best way to make sure that you don't miss our next episode is by subscribing to this podcast on whatever podcast player that you use I use Overcast. Some people use TuneIn, you know, Google Play. Some of you use the Apple Podcast player on your iPhone, whatever it may be. Can somebody please leave a rating on iTunes and talk about the sultry tone of Caleb's voice? I would love for somebody to do that. How awesome it is. And it's just this sultry, awesome blend of awesomeness. Thanks for making things weird. Also, if you want, if you want to uh, let us know about some of the things that you're learning about or things you want to learn about, hit us up on social media. You can let us know on Instagram. On Instagram, all throughout the week, you know, we're posting quotes from this episode. So if you like specific things from that, you can look on Instagram for that. Our handle is at the Learners Corner, or hit us up on Twitter and let us know some of the things that you learned from this episode. Handle is at Learners Podcast. Or hit us up on Facebook and post on our wall and let us know some of the things that you're learning about or things that you would like us to talk about as well. He's like waiting for me to say something weird and I have nothing. Again, don't forget to check out this book, That's What She Said by Joanne. It's an incredible book. We highly recommend it. If you want to find it or any of our Learner's Corner approved resources, check out the show notes as well as the best way that you can find out. Anything.